0: Today's reading is from 1 John chapter four. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Jesus is from God, This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear friends, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God, listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us love among His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And, we have, and testi- we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us. So we know we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given this commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the, word of the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Well, good morning. Good morning. If uh, you're new around here, new to new life, my name is Steve. And uh, like Jay, I'm also one of the pastors here. And uh, I get to bring God's word to us this morning. And... Uh, <laughs> wow. Speechless. <laughs> if you are a middle schooler in here this morning, and uh, you listen to this sermon and fill in all of your blanks on the sermon outline, you come up afterwards and show me that. Um, I'll pay for a donut for you in our cafe afterwards. Okay, one donut. Um, so you can keep that in mind. And it'd be good if all of you took out took out that study guide right now from your worship folder, so you can follow along with me. I've got an interesting sermon for you today, and uh, I think the Lord has something for you. We're in week four of this series called Confident, where we're walking through the New Testament book of 1 John together, and today we find ourselves in 1 John chapter 4. There's a guy who's been on my mind lately. He was a pastor friend of mine. And uh, those of you who've been around New Life for more than a decade would probably know him. I really hadn't thought much about him for years, but in two different conversations in the last few weeks, his name has come up. And so it's like he just kind of popped up on my screen, you know, without warning. And uh, since I knew that he does a regular podcast, I decided to go online and listen to uh, a recent episode to see if he was still presenting the same message that I was hearing from him about seven or eight years ago. And so I listened, and yep, same message. During the stretch, I was kind of wondering, Lord, why am I, why am I thinking about this guy? We, we parted ways a long time ago. And then this week, as I studied 1 John in preparation for this sermon, I realized that one possible reason that the Lord brought him to mind is because of the two main themes in this chapter that John challenges us with, which are these, learn to discern, learn to discern, don't allow yourself to be misled by teachers who are actually presenting a different Jesus, and learn to love, learn to love. Let God's sacrificial love for you pour out from you onto other people in selfless service. So let me see if I can try to explain the connection here okay this guy that I was talking about came into our orbit here came into New Life's orbit I think it was back in the mid-90s and uh, he was working at a pizza shop in Columbus and his boss's name was Scott and Scott was a member of this church and one day Scott invited him to come and, and check out New Life Church and he did And he liked what he experienced here, and so he began to attend regularly, and he seemed very eager to soak up the teaching and to learn and to grow. At the time, this guy was living with his girlfriend. Before too long, she started attending along with him. He's a very persuasive type person. And uh, in time, they both made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. They got married They began engaging with the life of the church here. And his progress seemed to be so evident to us that after a while, we asked him to even teach some classes here, some classes on Christianity and on evangelism. Well, after a few years here, he felt called to go away to to get some training and some education in ministry. So he went to Liberty University, and he studied for ministry there and uh, when he finished up his course of study, he returned here to Columbus, and uh, we actually made him, ordained him, as the pastor of our third church plant, which was down on the OSU campus. You ever heard of that, Ohio State University? It's called New Life OSU, and this guy had pulled a team together, and then about half of our young adult ministry at the time also signed on for this, and so, they were off and running and they, they got off to a good start. And I remember going down there in uh, 2003 for their very first worship gathering in the student union building down there. And I'm telling you, it was dynamite. <laughs> it was fantastic. This guy is a very engaging speaker. People are drawn to him. He was all about the glory of God. He was all about praying for revival. He was all about evangelizing Ohio State University students with the gospel. His vision and his enthusiasm were contagious and so that campus church grew very quickly up to about 150 attendees. This guy was so fixated on the glory of God that there was a point in time in 2007 that he felt prompted to come to me and confront me about how he perceived I was leading this church at the time and he challenged me to make it less about numbers and more about making God famous. He encouraged me to lay aside all the all the church growth books and speakers I was, uh, was accustomed to reading and listening to and start reading the likes of John Piper and Louis Giglio and also those old dead guys you know the Puritans and others who were centered on making ministry about God and not catering to a, a man-centered way of thinking about God and his church and I gotta tell you, God used those conversations in my life along with a few other incidents to prompt me to, to let go of some things at that time and to embrace some other things, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I had such a high regard for this man that, that I had him come and speak here several times during that era. So he has been up here preaching to our congregation, and he always pointed us to the Lord. Well, after a few years of leading New Life OSU, my my pastor friend felt led to head into a a different phase. So he turned that church over to our other friend, Ed, so that he could go and start a brand new ministry, a ministry that would promote prayer and revival here in our city. He opened up a 24-7 prayer room down in Groveport that I visited several times and prayed with him and his team down there. I remember it was, uh, in 09, I think, he planned a conference in, in Kansas City, a conference on prayer and revival and evangelism. He invited me and Pastor Claude to participate and we went and it was great. This guy loved to inspire and train other people in evangelism and in prayer and in God-centered thinking and he was very good at it. He was and is a dynamic, passionate, magnetic, engaging, insightful, articulate man. And he has many followers. The only problem is, I think he's become a false teacher. Somehow, some way, his spiritual journey took him away from Orthodox Christian beliefs as well as any form of organized church. You know, Paul uses a phrase in his epistles where he he talks about people who are disconnected from the head. Have you heard that phrase? I view this guy as being disconnected now from the head. Along the way, he also abandoned his wife and his daughter and his grandchild. Now he's taken up with a new gal and married her, and she seems to greatly admire him for the courage that it took for him to break free from the institutional evangelical church, as he calls it. He's now quite proud of what he calls his own personal deconstruction, heard that term? He seems to believe that he's arrived at a very enlightened and awakened state in which he now recognizes his own inner divinity. And he works to help other people recognize theirs too. He, he really believes that he's loving people by telling them that they and God are one, are indistinguishable. I guess it was about seven or eight years ago that it it dawned on me that he was changing. Remember, I heard him say that Jesus didn't actually come to free us from our sins. No, he said, Jesus came to free us from our misconceptions about ourselves, about who we are. Our main problem, he says, is not sin, but it's spiritual amnesia that we human beings have forgotten who we really are. We've forgotten our divine Nature and godhood recently I heard him say that on the cross Jesus was not being punished by the father for our sins that notion has become very distasteful to him instead he said Jesus died as an example of love and only that recently I heard him say that when it comes to Christmas Jesus is not actually the reason for the season we are because in reality, we are Jesus. We're as much God as Jesus is, he says, and God wants us to know that. He says the main reason we're hampered in life and struggle in life is because we just don't fully realize our Godness. We don't need a savior to take the blow of God's wrath for us, he says. We need a savior who will rescue us from our lack of self-awareness, his words. And so now he claims that his ministry, his new ministry is all about love and he believes that in his new and enlightened state he is finally living a truly beautiful life, a lifestyle of real love. When I think about him and his journey away from the things I hold dear, it makes me very sad. Now I think he would say that he's sad for me that he longs and aches for me to be awakened to my true identity of Godhood. So about now you should be thinking, why are you telling us this? (laughs) And here's why. Because as a pastor, I feel a responsibility to you. I feel a responsibility to caution you about wolves in sheep's clothing. Also, I'm telling you this because as I said, I had him here to preach several times, which implied my endorsement of his message, and I just wanted you to know that he's changed, that he's in a different place than he used to be. I'm also telling you this because he's just one of many, many dynamic speakers in our world who have a significant following, but who are peddling a different Jesus than the real Jesus portrayed in the scriptures and I want to warn all of us about how insidious Satan is and how deceptive he is. The truth is when I think about this guy and I think about our times together, my mind kind of short circuits and I think how in God's name could that have happened? How could someone so obsessed with the glory of God so quickly and easily defect from the Christian faith that he once held so dear. It's messed with my salvation theology, really, in my mind. And to be honest, it not only perplexes me, it kinda scares me. And I I think it should produce a healthy fear in all of us, really. The enemy is real, and he is very, very cunning. So, with that story as a backdrop, Let's hear the first part of 1 John 4 again where the theme is learn to discern. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Verse four, you dear children are from God and you've overcome them, those false prophets, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we, John is saying, we apostles are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so we see what is being given here is a warning learn to discern he's saying test the spirits he says don't just swallow whole everything you hear don't allow yourself to be duped seek to discern he says the source behind the messenger the source behind his or her message understand where their message comes from what its origin is there is a spirit behind it you see that test the spirits There's a spirit behind that messenger. There's a spirit behind that message and it's either the Holy Spirit or it's a demonic spirit. Learn to discern. Why, John? Why are you telling us this? Because of the prevalence and popularity, number two, of false prophets. That's the reason. He says many false prophets have gone out into the world and the world listens to them. That was true in John's day and Do you think it's true in our day? I would contend that the danger is even more real in our day because it's really true that the world can listen to anybody. Think about it, now everybody who has a message also has a potentially worldwide audience sitting in their basement, tapping away on a computer. Technology, the techno revolution is both, I think, great and dangerous. It's great because more people in the world have easier access to the message of the gospel, easier access to gospel-centered teaching and preaching, and it's dangerous because the potential for being deceived into following a false teacher is greater than it's ever been. There are more of them. They are slicker than ever, and they are more accessible than ever because of technology. Everybody's just two taps away on their smartphone from anyone saying anything. We know this. And so John says, learn to discern. Listen, there's all kinds of voices out there. And then he gives a test, and it's a doctrinal test, and basically it's this, is it the real Jesus they're talking about? Yeah, they talk about Jesus, but is the Jesus they talk about, the the real Jesus, that the first apostles who knew him bore witness to and wrote about? And so the Apostle John calls us to apply the test, we could call it the test of orthodox Christology. Christology being the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of Jesus. Ask yourself, does their Jesus bear much resemblance to the Jesus presented in scripture by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by Peter and Paul, all of whom knew Jesus and walked with Jesus? Is it really him or is it another Jesus that they've made up? I got to thinking, I've been listening to 1 John uh, most mornings since the beginning of the year and just from chapter four alone, we're presented with, with several truths about the real Jesus, right? Teachers who don't espouse these things are not true teachers of the word of God. In verse two, he says, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's the incarnation that God came from heaven to earth and took on a robe of human flesh. That's the real Jesus. The real Jesus, verse nine, is the son of God god the son the second person of the holy trinity also verse 9 god the father john says sent the son into this world verse 10 jesus was sent here to be the atoning sacrifice or the other word propitiation for our sins something my old pastor friend would now deny the wrath remover, the sin bearer of our sins. Verse 14, Jesus alone is the savior of the world. This is how you know if someone is from God or not from God, what do they say about Jesus? Does their message about him align with the truths that the apostles taught us about Jesus? And then there's this wonderful affirmation or assurance that John gives us that God's true children will not ultimately be deceived. And there's that famous verse here in verse four, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But the reference is to the fact that, that the true believers of God will not be deceived by those false teachers. We've overcome them because the one who lives in us is greater than the one who is inspiring those false teachers and their message. What a wonderful assurance we're kept The Bible says we're kept, we're preserved, we're protected. And then there's this explanation that trusting the apostles' testimony about Jesus is the pathway to knowing the truth. Verses five and six. This is a recurring theme for John. He says it over and over over again. Trust the guys who knew Jesus personally. Trust those guys. They're the ones who have it right. Right? So this is one way to identify a false prophet, a false teacher. Their Christology is off base. They've got aberrant views of Jesus. But you know what? Scripture gives us other markers also, other identifiers for false teachers. The real Jesus once said this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven. He said this, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the answer? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So like John, Jesus is calling us to learn to discern. He says, by your fruits, you will know them. By their fruits, you will know them. So it's by examining what is produced through their lives and through their ministries that we can know who speaks for God and who the imposters are. That's why it's sometimes difficult to know up front. You gotta see fruit, right? That takes time. And when I say fruit, know this, I'm not talking about the size of their following. I'm not talking about... The, the size of their audience, a large crowd does not equal God's approval and blessing. You need to know that. When I'm talking to people about this, I always say Hitler had large crowds. Large following does not equal fruit, not automatically. In fact, there was a, one of the great prophets of God named Jeremiah who had a very small following, like minuscule When we look at Matthew seven, the content of Jesus' teaching does suggest what some of that bad fruit is. So I want to—I don't think this is on your outline, is it? So this is bonus material. Uh, hopefully, there's some white space there that you can write if any any of this sounds memorable to you. Identifying false prophets. How do we know, Steve? How can we test the spirits? How do we know who speaks for God and who doesn't? Well, not only do they mess with the doctrine of Jesus. Here's another marker of a false prophet, there's no narrow way in their message. You know, you can often identify a false teacher not so much by what they say as by what they don't say. A false teacher will not clearly communicate that Jesus is the only way by which we can be saved. When pressed for clear answers, they will fudge, they will squirm, They'll talk about how non-judgmental God is, how much he loves everybody, but they will not allow themselves to be pinned down to say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can go on YouTube and watch these guys squirm and they won't say it. They don't want to offend anybody. So the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ don't come up in their sermons. It's something they don't talk about. Beyond that, the truth is, they, they really offer no disturbing teaching. You're not likely to hear much difficult doctrine at all from these guys. They don't clearly communicate the reality of God's judgment because they don't want to offend anybody. They just want to comfort and soothe people. So they teach nothing that convicts the heart towards repentance, nothing that makes people desperate for a Savior. And that tells us then that these preachers are unlike Jesus who was unafraid to tell people the whole truth, right? These wolves in sheep's clothing may smile a lot but they offer a man-centered message not a God-centered one. And as a result a third marker here there is no real life in their message. It's not truly life-giving like the gospel is. If you don't end up experiencing all the wonderful blessings they say Jesus wants for you in this life, guess what, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't work the system right. You didn't follow the formula close enough. You didn't say the right things. You didn't pray the right prayers or you didn't give enough to their ministry. Their gospel isn't good news, it's bad news. It's man-centered, it's performance-based, it's crossless and bloodless and it's lifeless. It leads to spiritual death. And here's a final marker of a false teacher. They flaunt a luxurious lifestyle that is stoked by greed. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy, he said this. He said, these phonies believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. And that shows up in these guys' lifestyle. Cars, homes, yachts, jets, toys, clothes, Of course, what do they say? They say that Jesus is blessing them abundantly and they want to live in the fullness of that blessing and help others to do so as well. Do not be fooled. Material wealth is not the promise of the gospel. It's not. In fact, the true gospel claims power to deliver people from greed, to free people from being obsessed with acquiring more and more and more stuff sets us free from that. It offers a superior satisfaction found only in the love of Christ. For the true believer in the real Jesus, as the old song says, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So learn to discern. Learn to discern. Don't just indiscriminately hitch your wagon to the latest hip cool preacher who says Jesus a lot. Listen, all false prophets talk about Jesus and they like Jesus. But as I said, it's often not the real Jesus of the Bible that they like. It's the Jesus that they've concocted in their own puffed up minds. It's a counterfeit. And so John says, learn to apply these tests. Learn to discern the spirit behind the teaching. Refuse to follow these men and women and let them influence you because frankly, they can influence you straight to hell. So there's that section. So what is he going to talk about next? And interestingly, after giving this warning, John transitions to talking again about love. And you know what? It, 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 it seems like a jolting transition, but when you think about it, it actually is loving to warn people about false teachers. It is. It's loving to lovingly tell people the truth. That's what John is doing. So he starts to, be, again, talk about love, and it's like he's saying, you know, holding on to orthodox doctrine is good, it is. Believing the right things about Jesus is great. It's one of the birthmarks of a Christian correct belief is very important but so is something else so is having a lifestyle of love so both correct belief and loving behavior both of these are evidences of true salvation both of them are birthmarks of a born-again person and both are lacking in false teachers and so what we find in the rest of chapter four is John returning once again to this theme of love. This is the third time now that he's circling, hovering over love. In chapter two, he showed that a loving lifestyle is proof that we're walking in the light because God is light. In chapter three, he showed that our love for other people is proof that we have eternal life in us because God is life. And now here in chapter four, he's gonna show us how our love for others is evidence that we have God's love in us because God is love. So John's teaching theology here. God is light, God is life, and God is love. Learn to discern, yes, and learn to love. Verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love I believe his point is this we can become more and more confident that God lives in us as we see evidence of him in us loving other people through us that's how we know that the God who is love is in us right it's coming out now this sermon's been pretty heavy so far so let me lighten it up a bit just for a moment okay Since you can go onto the internet these days and find just about anything, I decided to do a search for country music songs about love. (laughs) And I found some real doozies. Like, my tears have washed I love you off the blackboard of my heart. (laughs) Like, how about this one? Tennis must be your racket because love means nothing to you. How about this classic love ballad? You're the reason our children are ugly. (laughs) Thank you, Loretta Lynn. I've got the hungries for your love and I'm waiting in your welfare line. I I loved you better before I knew you so well. (laughs) Classic love song. And finally, I fell in a pile of love, or a pile of you and got love all over me. (laughs) well we love love don't we so many songs love is a many splendored thing love makes the world go round. what the world needs now is love sweet love i don't think it's much of a stretch to say that our world loves love we're obsessed with love but the question john would ask is this Is the love we're obsessed with the kind of love that he's speaking about here? Is it God's kind of love? In the Greek, agape love, unselfish, self-sacrificing, self-giving love. Is it that? Verse 9, this is how God showed his agape love among us. Here it is. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, verse 10. Here it is, the definition of love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. The initiative was taken by Him. He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation. There it is again for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, He's invisible to the naked eye but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us we make the invisible God visible when we show his love to other people and so we see here John the apostle challenging the people of God to pursue a lifestyle of love and he says this when we see ourselves truly loving other people with God's kind of love with that self-giving self-sacrificing love it's going to have an effect not just on those people although that's great, it's also going to have an effect on us. And what is that effect? In a word, confidence. It's going to boost your confidence. It's going to boost my confidence when I see the love of God flowing through me out onto other people. Does that make sense? In several ways. He says it will bring us confidence, number one, that we really do know the God who is love, verses seven and eight. We really do know him. It's gonna bring us confidence that God's love for us demonstrated by sending Jesus truly has taken root in our hearts. Third, it's gonna bring us confidence. Am I going too fast? (laughs) Yes, no, yes. Third, it's going to bring us confidence that we really are representing God well in this world. As he is, so are we in this world, he says. That we really are making the invisible God visible to other people. Number four, it's gonna bring us confidence that God really does live inside of us. Verse 12, verse 15, verse 16. Verse five, it's gonna bring us confidence that we really are growing up into spiritual maturity. Yeah. Growing more mature in love. Our love is becoming more mature, more complete. Number six, it's going to bring us confidence. It's going to boost our confidence that God's spirit really does indwell us. Number seven, it's going to bring us confidence, not fear about our fate on judgment day. This is interesting. Let me read verse 17 again. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love these verses, right? These are famous verses. There's no fear in love, but the context really is talking about future judgment when we stand before God and when we know that we've lived a life of love in this life, we're gonna be confident when we face him that day that we really are in his family because there was proof, there was evidence of it in our lives on this earth. And we will not fear his punishment. We will know that we know that we know that we have a place at the table in heaven forever and ever. Then finally, he says, living a lifestyle of love will boost our confidence that we really do love God. Verses 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, disconnect, right? He's a liar. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now that verse uh, 19, 1 John 4, 19, that verse has really become a theme verse around here at New Life. Seven words that convey So much truth We love because he first loved us Man, that's rich There's content in there that you could explore for a long time What does it tell us? It tells us that our love for others is simply what? A response to God's love for us We love each other because we have been loved Loved people love people And it's not just a response, it's also an overflow. And I was tempted to bring my little pitcher back up here again and really spray everybody with that this week. (laughs) What he's saying is the reason we can pour love out onto others, the reason we can forgive them of the hurts they caused us, the reason we can give to them and serve them and lay down our life for them is because God poured out his agape love into our hearts. He filled us up with his love so that we have something to spill out and pour out onto other people. We talked about this. His love not only fills us up, it also frees us, doesn't it? From having to go through life clawing and grasping at other people, saying, fill me up, fill me up, please. It frees us from that because we're filled up with his love so we can pour out, splash out his love onto others. When we're full of His love, there will be more than enough to spill out. How beautiful is that? Listen, no fake Jesus will do that. No false gospel can produce that kind of overflowing love in our hearts. Only the true gospel, only the real Jesus. So I got to thinking about love and uh, how blessed Shirley and I are to be a part of a church family where there's so much overflowing love. It really is a blessing. And I got to thinking about it. I, I prayed with a young gal this week who was facing a big surgery and uh, called her up, talked with her, prayed with her. I was hoping that she had, you know, girlfriends and people who were supportive. And she's like, well, Pastor Steve, I've been overwhelmed. <laughs> the people of God at New Life have just poured out love onto me. And uh, it, it was, reading between lines, she was kind of saying, I don't really need your call. You know, I'm good. <laughs> That's fine. That's the way it should be, Right? The people of God ministering to each other. I mean, it it was great to hear that. I wonder what the count is for meals prepared and delivered to people facing surgery, people recovering from surgery, people who just had a baby. baby. I, I think it's probably in the thousands. Probably in the thousands. I mentioned that homeless gal who came to us a few months back. I talked about her in last week's sermon. Anybody remember that? Well, after last week's sermon, she was here. She came up to me afterwards and she said, it is, it is so true. I am just blown away by the love that I have felt from the people of New Life. By the way, she's now got her own place. She's got her dog back. Life is good. And humanly speaking, horizontally speaking, it's been the people of New Life who's welcomed her, blessed her, and enfolded her into this community. She told me how, how grateful she is. I heard about a couple in need here who just a few weeks ago were startled to receive an anonymous gift of $2,000 collected by some folks here who'd heard about their situation and when the wife received the check, she was speechless. They just had no, like, I don't even know what to say. Shirley and I were the surprise recipients of some new life love. Just the other night, we were back in the chapel, I think it was Wednesday night, praying with a group. It was fantastic, the prayer week we had this week. And there was 35 or 40 people there. And when we finished praying, several people came over and said, hey, we want to pray for Steve and Shirley. Come on over, everybody. And so they sat us in the middle. They all laid hands on us and prayed over us, passionate prayers. And it was like oxygen for the soul, you know? I mean, it was great. We felt Loved and blessed to be on the receiving end of that kind of love. It was beautiful. Over and over and over again, you show this kind of agape love to each other and to others, and it's so, so good. You know, when the true children of God are filled up with God's love and s- start letting it spill out onto other people, all kinds of wonderful things happen. Lonely people get enfolded into gospel community. Marginalized people, outcasts find a place to belong and to feel at home. When you show love, when I show love, broken people get showered with grace. Wounded people begin a journey towards healing and restoration. When we show love to others, stressed out people feel their burdens being shared by by others, shouldered by other people coming alongside them. Doubting people, doubting people feel a safe place to surface their questions without... Being viewed as stupid, without judgment, without condemnation. When we're showing love to each other as a body of believers, successful, well-off people are humbled to find that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And they gladly join the ranks of the overflowing. When we're loving like Jesus, spouses begin to feel valued again. They start living in a cycle of outdoing each other in love. Huh, you're going to do that for me? Well, you just wait. I'm going to do this for you. Oh, I mean, it's great. When this kind of love is being poured out, parents, listen, parents who have wayward children are not judged and not condemned, but supported and prayed for. When this kind of love is flowing in a congregation, widows... And the elderly are honored and valued and cared about. Children are highly valued and taught about the great love of God. And yes, pastors and their wives are encouraged and feel even more grateful to God for his beautiful, beautiful church. When the love of God is flowing in a body of believers. And you know what? The love of God is so powerful and so expansive that it flows not only to the family, but out beyond the family, doesn't it? out beyond the walls, to neighbors, to needy people all around. I smile when I think about this. I smile when I think about Jeff and Rebecca and Wes and Robin and Eric and Emily, couples with children of their own who went the extra mile and took on the care of several additional children who found themselves in a very challenging circumstance through our Safe Families ministry. I love hearing about that. It's not easy Love is not always easy, but it always has an impact. I think about the Bud family. You know those guys, right? Who decided, even with three little ones, that they had even more love to give, and they decided to bring beautiful little Katie with her special needs into their family to care for her as one of their own. It's beautiful. I think of Kyle and Taylor who just recently took in three very small and lively children into their home. They had no children of their own and now they, they went from zero to 60 in like five seconds. Three kids, boom, through the fostering program here in Central Ohio, showing Christ's love. I think of many of you, over 300 of you who give $40 a month to sponsor a child over in Makono Village in Uganda, providing for them, listen, education, clothing, Food and exposure to the Glorious gospel of Jesus Christ 40 bucks a month Some are going over this summer On a missions trip and they're going to get to Scoop up those children in their arms And hold them the children whose picture they have On the refrigerator at home they're going to get to see Them and hug them and care for them Isn't that great I love that Child sponsorship program There are many, many examples of overflowing love in our church family, and I think we could all learn to love better by taking some cues from these and hundreds of other New Lifers who are giving of themselves sacrificially to bless other people, both inside the church and outside the church. And listen, they don't do this to earn anything from God. They're not trying to work their way to heaven They do it because they were first loved by God. They were filled up by the love of God and now they're spilling out onto others. We love because he first loved us. They know they've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. So that's the message of 1 John chapter four. Learn to discern and learn to love with God's kind of love. So earlier I shared some corny country songs. How about we finish up with a much better love song, the lyrics of this rich, rich song from a long time ago. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Do you see in your life sufficient evidence in your lifestyle that the God who is love really is in your life? Do you need to be more careful? Do you need to be more discerning about who you're listening to and who you're allowing to influence the way you think? Is the Lord calling you to extend yourself even more than you are to love others? Let's pray together. We have a few people being baptized in a few moments, and if that's you, you can start to make your way to the changing rooms. As you think about what you've heard today, I, I just wonder if God had something for you. If you would say, Pastor Steve, there was something in there for me today. God's speaking to me about something pretty specific. Would you just lift your hands? I won't embarrass you. I'd just like to see that. Okay, many of you. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, I'm so glad that I don't come here and just spout off opinions. I'm I'm glad I have something solid, something timeless, something truly from you to relay to others. I thank you for the love that's shown by people who tell us the truth. Thank you for John the Apostle telling us the truth. Lord, I pray that the people in this room would receive this message in the spirit in which it was given. Lord, if we're known for anything, If we're known for anything as New Life Church, may it be by our love that comes from you. Thank you for speaking to us today. We want to respond now in worship and in offering our lives to you anew and afresh by praising you with our lips that you have freed us from slavery to sin by being our atoning sacrifice. So receive our worship now, I pray
0: in Christ's name, amen.